and just you just put one step in front of the other. And even if you can't see two or three steps ahead, you know what the next step is, the next step is, the next step is. And before you know it, you're, you're building a company. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. So today's guest is David Klein. David's the CEO and co-founder of Common Bond, a fintech company that gives students and graduates better ways to pay for higher education. Named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies and Time's genius companies, Common Bond has funded over $2.5 billion, that's B billion, in student loans and helped more than 300 companies offer Common Bond for student loan benefits to their employees. It's also the first finance company with a one-for-one social mission. In other words, for every loan Common Bond funds, it funds the education of a child in need. Pretty cool stuff. Um, David, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Andy. Uh, so uh, tell us about what Common Bond does. Uh, I, I just kind of gave the formal intro, but, but if you were describing it, if we were in a group of, uh, you know, in, in, in a class uh, of, of, of undergraduate business students, how would you describe Common Bond? Sure. So the way I'll, I talk about Common Bond is that if you have a student loan or need a student loan, we can help. Uh, we follow folks over their entire higher education financial journey from the moment they need to take a loan out to go to school to the point at which they graduate with a lot of student debt and are looking to refinance that student debt uh, into what will most likely be a lower rate on the common bond platform. And then thirdly, uh, if you have student debt and your currently working, uh, we provide employer-based student loan benefits. Uh, One benefit we call student loan contribution. Uh, We've created technology whereby uh, we we enable employers to contribute, say, $100 a month to their employee student loans. Um, We also have a piece of technology we call student loan evaluation, where employees can enter a little bit of information about themselves and our technology can tell them how best to to pay that debt off. Sometimes it's refinancing, sometimes it might be a federal or state-based program. So that's what that's what Common Bond does. We we help people with student loans and it generally falls into the category of uh, lowering your rate or helping you pay it down faster. So for so so that's really cool, uh, and I want to understand your journey as well. But I I am cognizant of the fact that many of our listeners are not from the United States and maybe don't have a sense of how much college costs. Uh, can you give us some sense of parameters for someone who maybe lives in a country where college is free? <laughs> sure. So so college in in the U.S. 
predominantly speaking, is not free. In fact, it is very expensive. You know, undergrad uh, in the U.S. If you're, you know, ranges from fifteen thousand a year to thirty-five thousand dollars a year, um, and that's just tuition, and that's based on whether you go to a state school uh, or whether you go to a private college or, or university. That's just right. tuition. That does not include things like living expenses, rent, uh, and textbooks and things of that nature. Once you throw those costs in there, uh, you're looking at thousands, if not you know, 10,000 plus more on, on an annual basis. So it's quite expensive. And that's every year. Right. So we can now see the great need of a yes. platform like Common Bond. So tell us, tell us about your journey. You, I, I know this, uh, that you went to Brandeis University, which is a fantastic university. I know that firsthand. I've been a professor there for Gosh, seventeen years now. <laughs> Tell us about your journey. What did you What did you major in? Um, what did you do right after college? And then bring us from there towards Common Bond. Sure. Uh, and it, it sounds like uh, you came into Brandeis as I was leaving Brandeis uh, around two thousand two. That's when I graduated. Um, ah, right. We might have had one year. I think I was there two thousand two. So okay. We yeah might have had one year there, but briefly overlapped. <laughs> exactly. So I ended up graduating after spending four years at Brandeis uh, in, in 2002. Uh, right after graduating, I had a great opportunity to, to live abroad and, uh, and, and teach English. And so I, I taught English in France, uh, did that for a year. It was a great opportunity for, for me really to experience what life in another country would be like, pick up another language, pick up another culture, and, and go from there. So that's what I did. Uh, it was a great year. Uh, one, I you know, wouldn't give it up for the, for the world. I then came back to the States. I wanted to put myself in corporate America for about five to 10 years. Uh, and, and I was fortunate enough to um, start working at McKinsey, uh, the management consulting firm, when I came back to the States. I was there at McKinsey for about three years, working with a host of different companies across multiple industries. Uh, the companies I tended to work most with were financial services companies. And from there, I then went to American Express. I spent about five years at American Express, uh, did a host of uh, roles over there, everything from strategic projects to, to, to membership rewards, partnerships, marketing, etc. Uh, I even had a stint as a chief of staff to one of the executives over, over there. And you know, while McKinsey was a great opportunity from a strategic thinking perspective and exposure to a wide range of business problems and outcomes perspective, uh, American Express was good from an implementation and execution perspective. Uh, I got to feel what it was like to be in the corporate trenches, as I like to say, and, and make things happen on, on the ground for, for consumers, for partners. And so that was, the, you know, that, that was my corporate experience. And at that point, I decided to... I said, you know, uh, I, I want to I go start my own thing. I always wanted to start a company. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I, I knew that to be the case. It was really just a matter of when and how. And I thought after spending you know, close to 10 years in corporate America, the time was finally right for me to, to take all the learnings from corporate America and then apply them 
to entrepreneurship. And at that point, I had a choice. I could either leave my job at McKinsey and just start a company, or I could apply to business school and use that as an opportunity to incubate and accelerate an idea. And so I was fortunate enough to, to get accepted and, and ultimately go to school uh, for business school at Wharton. And I, and, and I used that as an opportunity to build uh, the company from there, Common Bond. So let's pause there. That's a great story. So many questions pop up in my head. I mean, the first I just have to ask, where were you in France? Because I also lived in France. Oh, yeah. So I was, uh, I was living in Paris, but I was teaching English outside of Paris in a banlieue in a, in a suburb uh, between Paris and, and the airport uh, in a place called Aulnay-sous-Bois, teaching English there. Cool. That's great. I, I lived there for a year after college and it was also transformational for me. So, and in fact, I think this summer we're going back. So I'm very excited. Oh, about fantastic. That. So I, I also didn't get what you majored in. It oh brand- yeah. So I, I majored while at Brandeis, I majored in political science. Uh, I, I minored in economics and I was a part of the international business program. And was that, do, do you feel that that sort of gave, like, tell us about the connection between that and what you've done since since then like how did how did that sort of help you what 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 background did it give you sure you know uh, when i think about my brandeis education you know it's a small liberal arts education i it's also a scientific research institution uh but it but it has the small liberal arts college uh dynamic as well and and i was more on the small liberal arts dynamic side of things than the the scientific research end of things I think what, what Brandeis gave me many things, but the one I'd focus on the answer to this question is it instilled in me a genuine curiosity to learn more about a lot of things that are important in the world uh, that I didn't necessarily have a strong knowledge base for. And so I'm very grateful for that because not only did it help me learn a lot while at Brandeis, it's helped me learn uh, a lot after Brandeis as well. And I feel like it's that it's that genuine curiosity uh, that developed at Brandeis that is, I think, served me very well um, in life in general, and then specifically in, in starting this company. You know, when you start a company, there are a lot of things you don't know and need to know. And you need to pick those things up fast. And so to, to have that genuine curiosity, which I view as the motor to figuring out a lot of things quickly, consistently over time, is, is invaluable. So it's an interesting path that you led. And it's funny, before I started doing this podcast, I would have anticipated that the path that you describe is a, is a fairly typical path. Like in other words, you know, for someone in your shoes, going to a really good liberal arts or you know, university, it, taking on some uh, impressive, interesting work experience that provides you, you know, tools and insights and sort of exposure. Uh, and then sort of going to business school to tool up again and then you know launching something it's interesting that that many of the people that I've interviewed for this podcast didn't follow that path and in yeah. fact they started something literally in their dorm room you know dorm yeah. room to the boardroom yeah. tell us about i don't know just just about the the why why you didn't start a company right away i'm I'm not saying you should have but you did yeah. say entrepreneurial entrepreneurship was in your genes and in your blood and so on tell us about that yeah. For me, I just, it wasn't the right time. And, and I think the right time is different for everybody. The reason I say it wasn't the right time is because I made a very conscious decision while in my year in, in France 
to put myself in corporate America for five to 10 years. I wanted to know what it was like inside of a great company at scale, because I knew I one day wanted to build a great company at scale. And so for me to have not understood, appreciated, experienced, felt what that was like, didn't make sense to me. Uh, And so that was my personal calculus. And so when I was done with my year in France, post-undergrad, I, I, I inserted myself in corporate America, spent my five to 10 years there, and am incredibly grateful for the time I spent in terms of what I learned, uh, what I experienced, the people I met, uh, the, the, the collaboration and environment with, with people inside of a, an organization uh, at, at scale. Um, and so I learned a lot through doing, and I'm grateful for, for that because I use a lot of that. Uh, I have used a lot of that in building up the company, and I am using a lot of that now as we continue to scale the company, common bond that is. So, so you're, you're a real planner, it sounds like. It's funny. Yes and no. I kind of have a, a vision uh, of, of what I want to do. And sometimes I remember that vision and sometimes I don't, but it's always planted in my subconscious. And I always find that in retrospect, things go... Uh, according to plan in a long time horizon more than I thought they would. <laughs> it, you know, in retrospect, it feels like it goes according to plan. And when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't, right? It feels more organic, more natural than, than that. But, but to your point, in this case, no doubt, I told myself in, in O2, uh, put myself in corporate America for five, 10 years, come out, use that experience to start a company. And in retrospect, that is exactly what, what happened. Um, and then... Uh, while I did start a company from the dorm room, uh, it wasn't the undergrad dorm room, it was the grad school dorm room. Uh, and that was the right time for, for me. It happened to be that at age 31, while a student it, you know, living off of student loans himself inside of grad school uh, with the 10 or so years corporate experience you know, under my belt, that was the right time to, uh, to, to start something. So that's cool. So, so you're in you're in uh, you're in business school. You've got this experience. You've seen what it's like to be in a big company at scale. You've got this problem of student loans, maybe yourself, and also you recognize others do. You want to do something better. How do you like? What do you do? Do you just kind of you know go to Starbucks, order a coffee, and say, "All right, sitting down here, starting a company"? Like, what do you? <laughs> how do you actually do it? So I was ready. I mean, I was ready. I quit my job, right? I'd taken the GMATs. I'd applied to business school. I got in. I quit my job. I went to business school with the express purpose of starting a company and running it at or before graduation. Um, and so I was, I was primed for, for, for this. And so everything I did really went through that lens. I mean, before... Business school officially started. There was a month of preterm, and I used that as an opportunity to connect with all the rising second years who were a part of the entrepreneurial scene at Wharton and in Philadelphia to understand, hey, what's the best way to navigate the scene here? Because this is why I'm here, and I want to I want to figure out the landscape and figure out the best way to to navigate it. So that's what I did before school officially started in that preterm month. Um, after getting some really good advice from, from some folks, I ended up doing my first market research. And uh, the great thing was, given the idea that I had, which we now know as Common Bond, um, I had you know, around me over 1,500 potential customers who were squarely in my target market uh, who either had debt currently in business school 
or recently graduated with student debt. And so I was able to speak to many of them, not just in interview and focus group fashion, but in market research, le- leveraging you know, online tools to, to get a lot of survey responses in a short period of time. Um, I applied for a startup incubator on campus, which forced me to think that much more deeply about the idea and the business model because of the questions they asked. I took that first quarter, uh, uh, an entrepreneurship course with a professor, Ethan Malik, who used to be an entrepreneur himself, read many case studies, used it also as an opportunity clinically to write a business plan, which is what the capstone of that particular class was about. Um, was out socially and knew in the back of my mind, I'd want to find some co-founders. So was able in that first quarter as I was out talking to a lot of people and talking to them about this idea, um, was able to uh, connect with Mike and Jessup who ended up being my co-founders. So w- the, the bottom line here, I'm saying a lot of things um, and nothing is a straight line, but I feel like once you know you want to start something and you have that motivation, you have that clarity of conviction, Everything you do happens through that lens. At least that's what happened in, in my case. And just you just put one step in front of the other. And even if you can't see two or three steps ahead, you know what the next step is, the next step is, the next step is. And before you know it, you're, you're building a company. Yeah, great story. Um, really interesting. So let's, let's uh, shift gears here. I'd love to hear, uh, you've got a lot of experience and, and you probably have some good insights about this. What, what misconceptions do you think college students have about about either entering the workplace, being a successful entrepreneur, you know, just really being successful and making that transition from from college to the professional world? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a good question. I think there are a couple different answers. One is I noticed that young people equate leadership with how many people they're managing. and that is a wild misconception. Wild misconception. Leadership has a lot to do with how you carry yourself in difficult or ambiguous situations. It has a lot to do with your clarity of thought in those situations. It has a lot to do with your business judgment and the decisions you make in, in, in those environments. It has actually uh, much less to do with how many people you are managing. Some of, the, some of the most impressive leaders I know don't even have people to manage. And if they do, they have very small teams. Um, and so I think that's one misconception that the more people I manage, the stronger leader I am. Absolutely not the case in, in reality. And the funny thing, just a quick aside on that, I, I saw something recently float around. I don't know if it was Twitter or Instagram. There's this quote that says, um, when you're young, you want to manage as as many people as possible. And as you get older, you want to manage as few people as possible. That is a true thing. Uh, And the reason that is true, I think, is tied to this misconception that early everyone thinks that if I want to be a strong, respected leader, I need to manage a lot of people. Uh, And in fact, what you you realize is that uh, it has less to do with that and more to do with some of the other. So that's misconception number one. What else is important for people who are entering the, the workforce? You know, one of the things, I'll just make it personal for a second. I remember entering the, the workforce, and this is entering corporate America, and um, realizing very quickly that there were certain things that you had to conform to, 
you know, the, the idea that in your day-to-day life with friends, you'd say, you know, Hey, so-and-so, I, I hope you're doing well. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole nine, very colloquial, informal kind of interaction with people. Um, I learned very quickly inside of corporate America that, hey, no, there's actually a more formal way, a more corporate way to approach people and communication. And that was a little jarring for me. And I think one of the reasons why ultimately I wanted to start my own company uh, is because corporations, once they reach a certain size, tend to rely on human conformity. Uh, in order to work effectively uh, at scale. Um, And that can really start to encroach upon an individual's human creativity. And I feel like entrepreneurship, starting a company or a company earlier in stage, uh, is an opportunity for people to exert, express their creativity in a workplace environment more than a very large corporation. So that's, I guess, a consideration, if not a misconception, a consideration for people to make as they think about, hey, do I want to go into a big corporation at scale immediately? Or do I want to go into a smaller company or start my own thing from the, from the get-go? And then the final thing I'd say is um, there definitely... While we learn a lot about communication in grade school, grammar school, high school, college... We learn about how to write an essay. Uh, we learn about an introduction, body paragraphs, and conclusions. Um, when you enter the workforce, I feel like the sophistication of communication and the variations of contexts within which you communicate uh, increase in complexity uh, and is a wonderful learning ground uh, through doing to learn and figure out all the various kinds of communication styles and structures that exist and the most effective ones based on audience and communication context. That to me is something that you pick up in really strong organizations, large or small. And it's something that I think folks graduating college should really look forward to and embrace. Can you give an example of that? Um, like I, I, sure. I totally get what you're saying, but like, what's an example of a communication sure. style? So at McKinsey, I'll give you an example, and uh, I'll kind of simplify it. So at McKinsey, it's a, it's a professional services firm. It's offering uh, strategic perspective and frame to uh, people inside of corporations. Um, and one of the things you learn when you enter McKinsey is, hey, if you're communicating to an executive, you want to give the answer first. And then you want to give supporting bullet points or supporting evidence in a highly structured way. So here's the answer, right? Here are the three reasons why this is the answer. Now let us give you three pieces of evidence for every reason so that you understand why that's the reason, right? Um, and, it's, and it's a communication structure that you use when executives are already bought into the fact that something needs to be done. They're just searching for the right answer. So you start with the right answer, and then you fan it out from there with support and rationale. That's different than when you're dealing with an executive or a board of directors or a leadership team who aren't yet convinced that something needs to be done. And so their mind, individual or collective, is not ready to hear an answer because there isn't alignment on whether something should be done in the first place. And so there... 
instead of starting with the answer and then fleshing out the rationale from there, you kind of work backwards. So you, you, you look at the, the context or the landscape of something. You start identifying trends or preferences or, or data that uh, help give you a sense of what's happening. And from there, you build up to the need for a specific answer. And then when you've built the, the, the context for why an answer is needed, you can come in and deliver the answer and why you think that answer is the best to address all these issues that you've now gone, gone through. So that's just one example of the kinds of communication frameworks and contexts that I think you deal with in a really real, in a real way in the corporate setting that you likely don't deal with in an academic setting, let alone learn about in, in an academic setting. Yeah, that's a really interesting example. I think that's going to be very helpful for our listeners. Helpful for me too, actually. <laughs> Let me, we're, we're nearing the end here. I just want to ask you one last question. You seem like a super productive guy. Uh, you've done a lot, um, very organized, uh, great planner and so on. Can you share any productivity tips for our listeners? <laughs> sure. And I may or may not be the, 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 the best expert to talk, about, to talk about this with. That, that being said, you know, th- I'll just share a couple things that I do personally that help me keep things organized and then keep me on track. One is I have a system as it relates to email. There's a lot of email back and forth that happens on a given day. My system is that if I open up an email... I either answer it right there or I don't answer it at all. And that way, every time I open an email, I don't get caught up in opening email, opening email, opening email, and then never answering and saying, I'll get back to it because then there's going to be a lot of work on my plate and I probably won't get back to it. And so I've made a commitment that once I open an email, I'm either going to answer it or I'm going to dish it off to somebody else or I'm not going to answer it at all. So that's number one. Um, when I open an email, I, I address it. Uh, before moving on. Number two, there are a lot of productivity tools and apps out there that a lot of people like to, to use. You know, there's Monday, there's Asana, there's, there's, there's a whole host. Um, I'm much more primitive uh, and simple than that. I use the Notes app in my iPhone. There are certain things that I need to do before the end of the day or before the end of the week or before the end of the month. I just keep it in my Notes app. And I know to go back to my Notes app um, once a day, twice a day. Um, I know to go back to my notes app uh, over the weekend to make sure that I've cleared everything off my plate over the weekend or to give me a heads up of what I have uh, coming up in the, in the following weekend or to realize, oh crap, I didn't get to what I needed to get to. I better finish it up before the weekend ends. Um, and so the, something as simple as you know, the notes app in, in, in Apple is something that I find pretty effective uh, for, for me. Those are the two things that I that you know pop at the top of my head that I find are are pretty helpful, pretty useful. Very interesting. That's exactly what. I, it's so funny that I do both of those things. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. All right. So 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 we're at the end of our chat. This has been uh, really insightful, and I'm so glad that you took the time to to speak with us. If if listeners are interested in learning more about you or Common Bond, where where can they go? Sure. So I love Google. Um, you can Google Common Bond, or you can Google. David Klein. Um, also, if you wanted to go directly to Common Bond, you can go to commonbond.co. Um, that's commonbond.co. Uh, All right. 
uh, and we will check it out. Thanks again for uh, being on From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at andy at andymolinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices, and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.